Two humorous nurses would like to acknowledge the true custodians of the land in which we record our podcast, the Yorta Yorta people. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and extend our respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders listening today. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. We are so excited for this episode to be sponsored by eNurse. eNurse is Australia's leading one-stop nurse shop. eNurse specialises in everything a nurse or nursing student would need to survive. From comfortable, stylish and keep you cool under pressure elite care scrubs to handheld study guides, nursing equipment and even a travel coffee mug for those long commutes. eNurse will be your new favourite online shop for all things nursing. Head to www.enurse.com.au and use our code HUMOROUSNURSES for a cheeky discount. Nurses with Kelly and Alicia. The podcast that hands out patient feedback forms like pamphlets from Jehovah's Witnesses. Welcome to Two Humorous Nurses, where we plan to bring you funny, informal, conversational chat about all things nursing. No shade to my Jehovah friends. <laughs> um, chronic illness. So we we I guess where did this come from? This idea for this episode. So we because we were going to do our patient series. Yeah, we want to talk about people who've been patients a lot. Patients a lot. Yeah. A lot. A lot. Or in like fun way, not fun ways, you know what I mean? No. Different ways. Yeah. For different cool things, cool chronic cool. things. Yeah, mate. Okay. We're nurses, it's all cool. <laughs> anyway, today we're going to yeah. talk to a nurse who also has a chronic illness. A cool chronic illness. We'll call it cool because I find it fascinating. We have Steph Kelly with us today. You might be aware of her from her very informative TikTok and Instagram accounts where she gives us some great insight into her life as someone with a chronic illness. Hello, Steph. Hello. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for coming on our humble podcast. Thank you You for having me. So firstly, just tell us, um, so we always start with nursing. So we want to know, like, you know, can you tell us why you became a nurse and a bit about your nursing career straight up and then we can get into all the rest of your life? Yeah, definitely. So ever since I was a baby, I wanted to be in the medical field. So I would create wheelchairs and have a doctor kit and stethoscope and everything on my baby dolls and my baby borns. And I remember saying to mum that I wanted to be a baby doctor and then that kind of blossomed into I wanted to do nursing because I found it was more hands-on from all the medical shows that I watched. (laughs) Um, And so I also had a lot of hospital experience growing up. Um, I have a heart condition and so I was always in the hospital um, having procedures, tests, admissions. And so I would watch all the other nurses around me and I thought they were just, I used to admire them so much. They were so caring and I felt so safe. And so, yeah, I think when I was in high school, I think it was just the definite, like I was so sure of the path that I wanted to be a nurse. Um, And so, yeah, I was just positive. That's all I wanted to do. Um, So I left school and then I left school early because of my illness, which you'll hear about soon. I left school in year 11 and did my AIN certificates, uh, Cert 3, and um, that took six months. Then I went straight into a job uh, as an AIN and then I went to TAFE and did my EEN and then I worked as an EEN for three years. Then I went to uni 
and do my RNs. And halfway through my RNs, I had a car accident. <laughs> um, and so that's where I'm at at the moment, halfway through my RNs still okay. after all this time. <laughs> and are you working as an EN still? Yes. Yeah, so I, the job that I was at before, just before the accident, um, was in pediatric, one of the major pediatric hospitals in Sydney. And so I, as an, I actually didn't realize when I applied for the job, it was in respiratory and ENs have quite a large scope of practice. You know, there was, I was really shocked with what we could do. Um, and so, yeah, so I did that and then was intending to do my RNs and then. So you're working in respiratory in uh, a major pediatric hospital in Sydney. And yes. what was it? So your scope of practice was really big, you're saying? Yeah. So yeah. I was I was quite um, shocked when I first started working there because I had worked as an AIN in a hospital. It was a private hospital and the scope of practice for my fellow ENs at the time was not as large. And then I thought when I would go to the public kids hospital that it would be the same as the private. And then I just was thrown into this awesome I loved it it was so cool um you know changing trackies and you know high flows and it was just it was awesome so um I definitely yeah I I jumped into my RNs full-time RNs full-time um EN work and then yeah I just had a car accident so so you said you had a heart condition when you were a child yes you have a lot of medical conditions is I that do. A, statement or a, question? That, a bit of both. <laughs> when I was Steph, I was like, oh my God, you, you, you poor bitch. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was like, it doesn't rain at pause in Steph's life. So <laughs> that's quite literally, I should write a book and I've thought about it, but you should um, definitely give us a handover of your so, past medical history. <laughs> give us an isba. <laughs> 28 year old, almost 28 year old female. Um, so, when I was a baby, I had, look, I I had urinary reflux. In the scheme of things, looking back, probably wasn't that bad. But um, <laughs> the first thing I kind of remember was just my heart would always race. And I thought I just had a really fast heart rate. Turns out it was SVT, um, which they figured out. Mm-hmm. And I always had this, like, potassium problem. You know, they thought maybe I was excreting it out of my kidneys, maybe you know, there was all these investigations and nothing came back and it wasn't actually diagnosed until I was an adult that I had a uh, genetic potassium wasting channelopathy. Mm. Uh, So my potassium just excretes from all of my cells, goes extracellular but doesn't release, like it doesn't leave my body and then it goes back into the cells. But while it's out, my potassium is like 1.9 and they're like trying to force it back in. So yeah, that would also then play hand in hand with the SVT. So I had the SVT in the AF and sometimes it would come on for no reason and then sometimes the low potassium would bring that on. So I was always in and out um, because of my connective tissue disorder, Ehlers-Danlos, it's like a hypermobility uh, disorder. That meant that I was always dislocating joints and bones and everything so I was constantly in sling constantly on crutches just back and forth um and it wasn't until I probably turned 14 13 14 that I started getting really bad periods and then um you know they thought my appendix burst so they did it 
the surgery to remove my appendix, but then on the scans and the ultrasounds, they found a seven centimeter cyst. They took that out as well. And then they said, okay, yeah, polycystic ovaries. And I thought that was the end of it. So, and and (laughs) so they, I got discharged and then, um, I remember mum actually remembers the cardiologist saying to her, if she starts passing out, bring her back for another appointment urgently. And of course I started passing out. So I would stand up and then I would just fall over and um, my legs would go bright purple. And I had this really bizarre rash all the time. Like I would, mum thought I was having these burning hot showers because the temperature change just from a normal shower would create hives. And so I was, in the space of between 14 and uh, 17, I was diagnosed with POT, so uh, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which is awesome that it's so much, it's 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 a lot more spoken about now yeah. because yeah. back then in 2010, 2011, it just, I was like the first diagnosed pediatric case because mm. they just had no idea what was going on. They were like treating me for everything. They just no idea. They thought it was autoimmune. Um, and so they sent me to the adults hospital RPA to do a tilt table test. Cause they were like, we don't have a tilt table. <laughs> so <laughs> they sent me there, but um, that also plays hand in hand with the connective tissue Ehlers-Danlos. So normally you see an umbrella of the Ehlers-Danlos and then underneath that you've got pots, you've got um, it's called Erdog, dermatographic urticaria which is mm-hmm. the hives and then you've also got um you know the potassium wasting channelopathy oh, wow. so all of that came together I was in a wheelchair for two and a half years um just because my pots and my um blood volume was just awful so I always passed out um and then I finally was transferred to adult services the transfer of adolescent or pediatric to adult services is really messy and it was a really hard time because you go from sunshine rainbows you know comfort (laughs) and then you get put into this yeah cold gray four bedded bays with people and men and it was just really crazy um but I am grateful for that because they put me under the only POTS at the time, the only POTS specialist in Sydney who just knew all of the right medication to put me on. He knew all of the right, you know, recumbent by getting your legs, you know, Mm. your calf muscles built up and IV saline infusions and all of this stuff. And then before I knew it, I was able to get my first job at McDonald's and study at TAFE and I was 18 at the time. So he really got you were in a wheelchair essentially like and not, yeah yeah that's crazy yeah yeah so I was just so and I could I could walk I just yeah couldn't walk very far I couldn't stand up for very long and it was just debilitating um and then in between all of that I was back and forth in ED because I'd have SVT it would go up to two twenty two thirty, and wow. it was refractory so the valsalva maneuver didn't work mm. um anything we tried ice they didn't work we tried so they're just um, pumping you with a den with a denizen oh my yeah they God. would always do this is the routine and they still do it. <laughs> six 12 18 and another 18 for good luck and then they would decide to give me propofol and defibrillate me and i'd be like thanks we had to do four oh rounds God. of adenosine wow yeah, and you're so, just walking down. You're like, get the defib, draw up the probe. I'm here, bitch. Well, the best part, the best part, it was always just because it was my local hospital, um, and and I 
I really hope this nurse listens because she'll know. The best part was she would always, I would always come in and go straight into recess one and she'd always be like, all right, who wants to do their defib competencies because <laughs> we've got someone. And I'd be like, yeah, you can do it on me. It's fine. Oh, <laughs> Tell me, does the um, get, having the adenosine get easier? Like, or does every single time you, you get that, like, I'm going to die. <laughs> you get the doom. You definitely do, but you know it's not going to last. Yeah. So honestly, it feels like when it gets pushed in, it feels like you're falling into your body and it's almost like you're falling into like hell. Like you're just like <laughs> falling. It's so weird. I'm it's so, so going to warn my patients now, just letting you know, I've been told it <laughs> feels like falling you're falling hell. into hell, but you're not. Yeah. <laughs> I gave yeah, a denizen to one of our younger patients um, a couple of years ago now. And I was like, you're going to feel like you're about to die but you won't. And she just looked at us. And then when she had it afterwards, she was like, oh my God, nothing could prepare me. I was like, yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's so like this heaviness, on. heavy, just in your chest. It's mm-hmm. weird, but I love, I keep the ECGs. I literally have yeah. one oh, <laughs> and I, true. you see this like SVT and it's like flat line, especially after the 18, it's like, uh, <laughs> will well, it restart? Come back, come back, come back. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but Yeah. So, so when yeah. when you started um and you're like you know you always wanted to be a nurse so then you finally get out of the wheelchair you're 18 you get a job at Macca's and you start to do all your study your AIN and everything how do these health conditions affect your working So with the pots um I remember studying and you know you'd be in the, like the labs and I would always kind of have to just take a seat or I would do this thing I think a lot of people thought I was restless but I would always like go on my tippy toes and then go back down and just really get the blood (laughs) trying to get up um but I was on just this perfect amount of medication so I was on um fludrocortisone um and I was on another one I can't remember the name of it but I was also on a beta blocker and it was these three medications that the kids hospital just didn't really think of because it was so new Mm. um and they just my quality of life just really soared and I was so thankful and I still even I go back to see him you know every six months and he will always say I remember 16 17 year old you coming in here and just thinking that your life was over because you know you wanted to be a nurse and you didn't think you could be and it was just this would be your life but um yeah we really I think all of us like my mum him myself and then just all of the physios and we really just helped get me back to some form of quality of life Mm. isn't Um, it amazing that medicine can do that yeah it still blows my mind that we have the capability to literally change people's lives Mm. yeah it's it's crazy but, I was curious about like how you were going mentally in that time, knowing that like you had this dream and then you having mm. all of these like, you know, thing like barriers in your way. Um, mm. it's pretty amazing. And and how long then did it take you between like um, getting your medication right and then feeling like you were able to become a nurse? So I left, um, I went into adult services, the adult hospital probably in 2000 and, 13 at the beginning 
sorry, no, it was the end of 2012. So that's when I went there. And I started studying for my AIN in the middle of 2013. So it was really mm-hmm. like a nine-month nine yeah. month turnaround of, okay, I really have to just, like you birthed if I want this. In nine yeah. months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, was, and it was like I was still, you know, having ambulance called. And I remember my 18th birthday, which was in 2013, I – the day of my birthday was in recess with with SVT. Oh god! <laughs> so everything, yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah, literally, <laughs> I'd always say every time I get defib because I can't even tell you how many times I have been. Oh, I would always say I'm like a re like I have rebirthed like it's I'm I'm a new person like this is it oh, my reincarnation. God. I love that. That's yeah. <laughs> But, so you pull um, your life together. You don't pull your life together. Your life's together. I mean, yeah. you get on the drugs. It you get to studying. <laughs> Makes you sound like terrible, doesn't it? And then <laughs> you are do living. You're just living your life, and then you have a car accident. Yeah. So I landed. So once I got my my AINs, I worked um, in a postnatal ward and I was doing like bed baths for the Caesars and I did the bath classes for the newborns and I loved it. It was my oh, element. So that's so cool. Yeah. It was even as an AIN, I had amazing scope. Like I feel like everywhere I've been, I've just really been able to get everything out of that mm. scope of practice. So, um, but yeah, I loved it. And then once I did my ENs, I knew I wanted to be a pediatric nurse. So I actually returned to the place that I had grown up at and that was a really cool, I think, full circle moment mm, of definitely. being like I really thought, you know, I would. I was actually nursing in some of the rooms that I had been in mm. as a child and I was like I just really thought that that hospital would be my life um, and and I was kind of at this point where I was just able to work, go into hospital, but, my, you know, my mum was awesome. She was beautiful. And so, yeah, I worked there for two and a half years and then one night after work um we were I just finished at 12 because I loved 12s um (laughs) we were a little bit concerned that sometimes three 12s in a row were causing me to have SVT but whatever (laughs) um and so yeah I finished work and my partner so my partner and I got together in 2016 and that was when I had just started it I think I was seven or eight months into my um pediatric nursing EN job and this was now in 2018. So March 2018, I just finished a 12-hour shift. My boyfriend at the time and I were going to Max Brenner and we turned <laughs> at a roundabout. I was I needed my waffles. <laughs> and um, you know, after especially after a 12-hour shift. And we were turning at a roundabout and a woman did not want to give way. She said she didn't see us. That's fine was very impatient and just pretty much T-boned mostly into my side of the car. Mm. And my actual first thought was, oh, my God, I have work tomorrow. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is, yeah. <laughs> my mum's going to be so mad. <laughs> yeah, and because I had actually exhausted all of my sick leave with the stupid SVT. Mm. So I was like, I'm not taking leave without pay and my annual leave had gone. So and actually... I had just done three months and it was a record for me, three months, no sick leave. Oh, that's awesome. So I'd worked from December all the way to March 
and I had no sick leave and I was so proud of it and I kept telling everyone I could get jinx mm. myself. <laughs> and so anyway, car accident happens. I, we race to the hospital and I'm in like a neck brace, same hospital that I get defibrillated at. <sighs> and um, yeah, pretty much from that accident, initially they said you've got a brachial plexus injury in your left arm, you've got two slip discs in your neck and I had a rib cage um, like my rib cage twisted. So I have a deformity of one rib, two ribs. Um, and yeah, I was like really shocked and I was like, okay, cool. This will be a few months and I'll go back to work. And, um, six months after the car accident, they, I was in a sling cause my, the brachial plexus injury meant that my, arm, I, I couldn't feel sensation. I couldn't use oh. my muscles. And then I would get, because it was a traction injury, um, and the actual nerve root wasn't like evulsed from the branch. The traction injury meant that I couldn't have surgery to fix it. Oh. So my my surgeon actually said you would have actually been better off if you mm. just snapped fully it. snapped it. Yeah. Um, and so they said we actually can't tell you how long it will take to repair, and you'll just have to be in a sling for as long as we know. And so yeah, six months later they Does just said Ellis to me, Daniels. Elos Daniels, I can never pronounce that. Does that affect your healing of this stuff? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they also said that they thought that I was so severely injured because of the lack of connective tissue and the lax laxity of it. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, so I ended up having shoulder surgery on both shoulders. Um, and yeah, six months I had this intensive, you know, like three days a week physio and then the other two days was hydro Mm. um and I refused to go to a rehab hospital because I (laughs) one thing one thing you need to know about me I think this is very typical nurse but if I go into hospital and nothing is happening and by nothing I mean there's just really no point in me being there it's kind of like just waiting around I will discharge against medical (laughs) advice (laughs) I can't cope I love that. Like, I can so do I this refused. at home. I'll just do it there. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Yeah, and I walked. I walked down to physio some days. Some days I'd get an Uber, um, but I was just really positive that I would be doing it all. Anyway, yeah, six months goes by, and they said we don't think you'll ever return to nursing. Mm-hmm. And I, that was then at the end of 2018, and I was just like, oh my god, like I, I, I worked so hard for to get out of a wheelchair and to mm. to just you know all that effort I'd put in AIN ENs just halfway through RNs like what is this even like you know it was just a really I was in a very deep dark hole I was gonna um, say was there a lot of like why me like fuck I've been through all this mm. shit like you know why me yeah that was yeah. it was so much of that I was so in a very dark place and then with being in a dark place you have a whole team of people with ctp who want to make sure that they only cover you for just what you need they'll cover you for if this physio seems like it's not working well we're not going to cover that remedial massage or oh, prove mm. prove to us that you need it Was so this with, is that the equivalent of tac the um traffic is that like was, um the funding that you get when you have a car accident and you can't work that kind of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that insurance you pay with your retro. Yeah. And it covers the third party. Yeah. 
So, yeah, so they were covering my wage. So thankfully, because I had no sick leave the, mm. for the three months before the accident, they were covering my wage, which was also a shitload of overtime. Um, so they averaged it all out over three months and then said, oh, this is your wage. And I was like, wonderful. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so every week, and, and, and that was good because um, the old law, which only changed in 2017, the old law was that you didn't get anything paid to you and then you just get a lump sum at the end, but the mm-hmm. end could be three, four years away. So we didn't have to, I honestly couldn't imagine what suffering financially through that time with, arguing with these people I I just couldn't imagine Mm -hmm. so yeah so that was that was at the end of 2018 and I've always had a really funny stomach um you know I've I have you know had irritable bowel syndrome and um constipation impaction just lots of issues Mm -hmm. when I was a kid which is also related to Ellis Danlos just a funny stomach never enough to need intervention never enough to need you know medical anything mm-hmm. um but at the end of 2018 I was getting sicker and sicker and I would start vomiting up food that I'd eaten the day before Ooh. um I was always nauseous I had pains like you couldn't believe I was bloated and I was like of course this is happening like, mm. I don't even know what this is but like of course it's just got to be another thing and so We got to March of 2019 and they diagnosed me with gastroparesis. And Mm. I was like, what the hell is that? Mm. And so, yeah, essentially they'd said that because of the accident, because of the pre-existing Ehlers-Danlos and because of the opioids that I was on, the combination of the three Mm -hmm. meant that my vagus nerve was damaged, my... um, the what's he the opioids had caused the uh, like you know they obviously the block you up peristalsis yeah mm. yeah so the peristalsis was delayed everything so essentially my stomach had shut down they mm. went to sleep and so my gastric emptying scan was delayed and they were just like look take motilium no yeah <laughs> so i'm like taking motilium things are not doing well and I'm trying and trying and eventually I think I lost 15 kilos in, you know, a few months and they just said, look, we're going to have to give you a feeding tube. And I was like, whoa. And so, yeah, they gave me an NJ tube and then um, I went home with a feeding pump and like a little stand and I was doing enteral feeds that I had done at my pediatric yeah. job. <laughs> mm. And, and, and I, and I know as a nurse that, you know, adults have feeding tubes. Like I know this, but like back then being given all of that, I just felt like I was a a kid because that's all I had worked with, with feeding tubes. So I just felt like my independence had been taken away from me. I couldn't eat with Adam. I couldn't eat with friends. I couldn't eat with anyone. I was just at home in my room Um, still recovering from the accident Um, and yeah then they gave me an NG because I had to have an NJ and then an NG because the NJ was giving me feeds through my small intestine and then my G was draining out Mm. all of my gastric because I was just vomiting it up and the only way to keep an NJ because obviously if without the NG tube draining my stomach I was vomiting up all the bile and saliva that I produced and then that would vomit up the NJ tube, 
which meant oh, that I'd have yes. to go back and, and then put the MJ. Oh. Fuck off. So, yeah, they were doing, <laughs> I know. That's I didn't think about said. it being nasal. I just assumed I did. it would be I was like, abdomen. this is a short-term solution. Oh. Like, what are they thinking? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, they, the plan was, and unfortunately for me, um, it was 2019, so masks weren't a thing, and yeah. that meant that I had to go out in public with two tubes oh. in my nose oh, and man. get stares and I had a sling, so I just really looked yeah, you like looked, an absolute You mess. should have carried, like, a thing around, like, collecting money. money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I should have. Money for the poor. You wouldn't have even need help. Thing. People just come <laughs> up and put a $20. <laughs> I need help. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will just yeah. say I've got to add this in that one time I gave 10 bucks to a guy dressed as the Flash because he had a bucket that said bike needs fuel. Like, oh. and he was... <laughs> Yeah, just walking around Fremantle, like trying to get money. <laughs> People do that. It was great. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow. And I gave him ten dollars. <laughs> I'd want him to give me ten dollars. So I'd give you that's generous for sure. Yeah, I'd take that. That's wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was that. And then they they were like, okay, well, you know, it's six months later since you got your NG. Your NJ, oh, I think it was actually really? it was four months. Sorry, it was four months, and it was you know the middle of 2019. Uh, it was Augusty, and um, yeah, they said, look, we don't think this is going to get better mm. anytime soon. Mm. So we would like to give you a GJ, a peg peg J, and I said, wow, okay, no worries. Um, and mm. I they also because my potassium so. Throughout the la- my life with my potassium issues, I've just lived on chlorvescent. Awful. Yeah, gross. gross. Hate it. Hate it. I used but- to have a patient that would just chew it and wait for it to froth in his mouth. No. And then he'd drink the water. He just, he loved it. He was like, he was, he told me he loved the way it felt on his tongue. Oh. I nearly spewed when like I saw him do rocks. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a lifesaver. Like a, you know, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's awful well because I couldn't have those because I was vomiting all the time yeah. anyway my potassium was just messed up because I already have a potassium issue then I'm draining my enteral contents and then I'm vomiting them anyway yeah. and I couldn't absorb any of the, the chlorvescent can't go through your jejunum because the bubbles just absolutely cause you hell mm. so really uncomfortable um, oh and so, yeah, they were like, okay, well, we, we have to put in a portacath because, you know, like you just need constant access. And I have had many central lines growing up. Like I had pick lines and just a lot of short-term type mm. lines. Um, and, yeah, they said we, we also think you should have a portacath because it's just really beneficial. I was always going into hospital needing the potassium and then obviously in resus you mm. having even an 18 gauge will oh, not yeah. the pain of potassium going yeah. through no thanks mm. so yeah that was they did that and then I had my GJ and then that was okay for a few months then it went to the end of 2019 and I just kept having little issues like my J portion the J extension of the GJ would always flip and then go into my stomach and then mm. because I was always still vomiting my nausea was just uncontrolled I was on ivy on dance I was on everything you could think of and um yeah they just said look we we think you should have two separate t- tubes a g mm. and a j oh. and I'm like okay fine so then, <laughs> yeah. 
January of 2020, they popped in the PEDGE, so the J, and then they also kept the existing G and then left that um, for drainage. Uh, And then they gave me the option. They said, look, you're a young female. We imagine you want uh, low-profile tubes. And I said, okay, that's cool. Like, do a low-profile. So they gave me two low-profile tubes, the low-profile G, which is like the button, and then the low-profile J. And so I had those two and four hours post-op. My G tube, you know how in the buttons they have that like turn, even like the connectors, the end fit connectors, Mm. my, even my bile was just getting caught in it. And I was like, I'm vomiting still. Like this, this G tube's not even doing what it's supposed to do. And so anyway, like the next day they took me back in and they gave me a 24 French um, (laughs) massive, G tube, and at the time I woke up and I was like, "Whoa, that is massive!" But it has been incredible for my quality of life. Mm-hmm. He literally said to me, "He's like, you should be able to drain burgers, my surgeon." <laughs> and I said, "No way." He's like, "Try it. Tell me how it goes." And so, oh. I ate a cheeseburger, and it drained. Obviously, with a lot of chewing, <laughs> but it drained out. And I thought, "Oh my god, I haven't eaten properly in." years like it was at that point it was like almost two years because it was 2020 yeah and so yeah so do you absorb anything from what you eat at all roughly honestly I think they said it was like a very small percentage and I have a better better chance of absorbing like liquid mm-hmm. calories and I do food because it's like breaking it down see like I just spent $14 on a cheeseburger and don't even get to absorb <laughs> yeah. any of it yeah exactly are you getting sweaty armpits or sweaty balls walking to work in your scrubs well every nurse needs a pair of scrubs that are breathable super comfy and not clingy elite care was designed by a nurse for nurses they're 55 percent cotton blend so they're cool and comfortable durable and have plenty of pockets and when i say plenty i mean like plenty pen loops chest loops everything for like your glasses your name tags and they have heaps of different designs they're size inclusive up to a 5xl and have great colors anos have a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee free shipping on orders over 150 dollars and are packed within 48 hours of ordering and they literally have everything you could ever need to do your job head to www.enurse.com.au to check out their whole range of elite care scrubs don't forget our code humorous nurses for a cheeky discount E-nurse loves our nurses. When did the TPN come into play for you? So that's 2020. Um, I, I was on my JTube feeds. During this whole time, pretty much, just I was still always, it was like I was still always losing weight. So it was, you know, obviously in the 2019 is when everything got really bad with the NJ. And then by the 2020, yes, with the JTube feeds, regardless of NJ or J, I was still losing weight, but it was just, it would get really slowed. So I would kind of stay at one weight for a little while and then I would still drop it. So they were kind of like, this is really sus. And then they did further testing and then they found out that I was not absorbing um, and not Mm -hmm. digesting and my peristalsis in my intestines was really bad as well. I can't imagine you would have had a whole amount of weight to lose anyway. Like you would have been emaciated. Yeah. 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 My BMI, I think, because obviously the nutrition and dietitians and stuff would always use BMI. And they, I think it was like 16 or 17. 
Yeah. So yeah. by the time, and it's hard to t- recover, isn't it? If you're like if you malnourished, can't eat anything, and you can't, well, you yeah. can't absorb anything. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that is my mind. I just I can't imagine what you've been through. Oh no, Jesus! This is like, this I'm way bigger than here. I thought it was. I'm like, like sitting here with my mouth open. I know this is a podcast, but I'm like, oh, uh, the whole time, like, oh my god. <laughs> I know it's it is mind blowing. I still can't believe it. But um, yeah, I I it was so 2020 came and it was March. COVID had just happened. I had just gone to Uluru with my partner, and um. And I got back from Uluru and my cardiologist said, um, look, I know a really good intestinal failure guy. So he put me into contact with him and then I went under the intestinal failure team because um, I was just really sticking with my upper GI and my gastro because I yeah. just thought like it's all gastro anyway. So I just yeah. didn't think anything. I didn't even think about intestinal failure. Mm. So, yeah, of course, I have intestinal failure and I go, Ugh. I get diagnosed with that and I go into the clinic. And they said, you know, you're not absorbing your J-tube feeds. We want to admit you and try different formulas, different feeds, different rates, all these different things because we think you need TPN. Now, being a nurse, I thought there's Mm. no way. I'm not going on TPN. Like Mm. there's just, I I don't, I knew that that was my path if the paralysis kind of went further, but I just kind of shut that off because I only you know you only get educated about the risks as a nurse you don't kind of you know the patients on long-term tpn go home and you don't hear about them because if you don't work in that area then so yeah i was just really against it so what we what i kind of negotiated with my doctor was that i would go into hospital um for a few weeks at a time have tpn We'll trial the feeds, trial the different formulas with a dietitian, and then obviously go on to TPN and then be in hospital on TPN for a while. But I was strictly not going home on it. I said, I'm not going home on it. I don't want to be opened up to that risk. I really like my portacath because I can take the needle out and have absolutely nothing mm-hmm. on the outside to cause an infection. Mm-hmm. Um, I was already stressed about the two ports of infection at my G and my J. So yeah, I just didn't want that headache. And so, yeah, I went in. He said, okay, well, COVID's getting worse. We predict it's only going to get even worse. And so he said, we need you in. And it was um, April at that point in 2020. I go in. I last nine days because I was in a – because COVID was apparently – like they were just predicting it, it to be – and it was really bad. I'm not saying it wasn't. But they were predicting even before the hospital was full so they they would just not give you a single room at all mm. and my mental health at that point was still obviously terrible and so i just i just cried and sobbed and screamed i couldn't have visitors i couldn't have i was so isolated mm. and i had animal crossing on my switch um but apart from that and then obviously un- unfortunately they combined a lot of the wards so gastro suddenly became drug and alcohol as well. And so I had a lot of people withdrawing, a lot of people under the influence, screaming, yelling. I had things stolen and I just couldn't cope. So I said, you know, they put a pick line because I had a single lumen port. So they put a pick line in in the morning and by the afternoon I was just such an emotional wreck. And I said to the team, I said, being in here is more is affecting me more mentally oh, yeah. than being at home and just trying J-tube feeds because I said I can't do this. And so I discharged against medical advice. 
And so that happened maybe three or four times more that year. And then 2021 came, uh, sorry, the end of 2020 came. It was December. Still had my portacath. And I felt really funny during the day. Anyway, by that night, I don't know why I didn't realize, but I hadn't weed all day. I just oh. hadn't gone to the toilet. And I was like, that's really weird. I'm sitting on the toilet really cold with goosebumps mm. and I'm sweaty. And I'm like, oh, shit, probably should take my temperature. 38.9. And I'm like, mm. I said to my, he wasn't even my fiance at that point. I said to my boyfriend at the time, um, I was like, you're going to take me to ED. I think, I think I might have sepsis. And he's like, nah, you're right. And I had sepsis once and it was in 2017 and it was kidney sepsis and it was really, it was caught really early. And he's like, no, you'll be fine. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. we went to ED anyway, because I just said, I'd rather get cultures. Yeah. Uh, go to ED, it was 11 p.m. I get put into the COVID ward, obviously. I have a fever. And then by 5 a.m., COVID come, had come back negative and they, I was put back into recess because I, my blood pressure was through the floor and they needed to put mm. me on NORAD. Mm. So I was then put into ICU. I had triple bacteria in my portacath oh. and yeah, it was really scary. And they took out the portacath <clears throat> and then, yeah, it was on, had a pick line. And then the beginning of 2021, <laughs> they put in a double lumen portacath. And then that just malfunctioned like two months oh, later. So yeah. they, they like took out that because they were like, oh, this, the, the actual chamber had like leaked and it was not good. Mm. So anyway, beginning of 2021, so probably March or April, I was just not well. And I think I had just, I said to myself, because I was at this time on home IV fluids. So they had trained me up with the intestinal failure team and the home TPN service who are a collective. And they trained me up and were happy for me to run IV fluids at home. Um, And so I was doing that. And then I went into hospital for another, I don't know, I didn't know what it was about. It was, I think it was just malnourished and not tolerating feeds Mm. and stuff. And so they just said to me, like, you're just going to have to go home on TPN. And I was like, fine, whatever, but I'm only doing it three days a week. <laughs> so <laughs> Such to any form of yeah. <laughs> so I did that. Anyway, it went up to five days a week, then it went up to six days a week, and mm. now we're at we're at six days a week. So <laughs> I, I, I get seven bags sometimes, but I am just very adamant on the six days a week because I want to be able to come back down on it and just really focus on the J2 feet. Mm. But yeah, so that's how I ended up on home TPN. And I was so anti it, as you can, you know, as you can tell. Mm. But <clears throat> probably after two or three weeks of being on it, I looked at Adam one night and I said, because I thought obviously I'd be attached to a pole. They're like, you have to run it for a minimum 12 hours, mm. but it's it's really nice to have it for 16 because you don't wee as much overnight because you have to have 1.8 litres mm. over 12 hours. So you wee all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I just remember I looked at Adam and I said, do you want to go out? And he was like, what? Because I hadn't been leaving the house. I had no energy. I was malnourished. So but yeah, I had, I actually finally had energy and Adam literally said that my personality came back because he said mm-hmm. that I was kind of just this, you know, flat, pale, sure. very, yeah. yeah, a shell of myself. And so, yeah. And that was kind of when I realized he actually brought it up to me and he's like, you actually have life in you. And I, 
realized that I was actually gaining something from being on the TPN and it wasn't just this, it can cause liver damage and it can cause, you know, your hypoglycemia, hyperglycemia and all these issues, sepsis, blah, blah, blah. And I was actually like, oh, I actually feel, I feel okay. Like I feel well. And then, yeah, since then, that was two years ago, I've gained 10 kilos and I just feel healthy. You look so healthy. Like you, you. yeah. It's so hard to imagine you, um, you know, at that kind of, at that place and, you know, being like so unwell. When I look at you, like, I mean, we're on Zoom, but like I look at you and I think like you look like this, you know, happy, like healthy person. And it's so hard to imagine you at that point. Um, How did you go like mentally? I guess this is for my own kind of like my own curiosity, I guess, like, you know, being in that place, was it just that, that getting on the TPN and, and getting, you know, physically healthy, was that the main like contributor to you getting mentally healthy? Um, It's hard. Cause I think there were so many aspects of my mental health that was suffering. Mm-hmm. So I had the fact that I, I lost independence in being able to eat mm. and then um, getting tubes put into my body and then looking at myself every day in the mirror and thinking, I just can't believe this is, I, I just like remember looking at the tubes and being like, I can't believe like I have feeding tubes in me. Like this mm, yeah. is so strange. Like, like I can't you believe just, this is my life kind of. Yeah. It, it's like not, you, like I wasn't even prepared for it. Like, mm. you know, I was working one day and then the next in a year I'm like in hospital with feeding tubes. Like it was such a weird experience. Um, but yeah, I think there was the mental health of the the body image. There was the mental health of, I can't believe this is my life and why me? Um, I was on a crap load of opioids still because once they realized that the paralysis had happened, I actually, I cold Turkey myself, uh, cause I thought, well, I'll just go off the opioids and then it'll, the, the, the peristalsis will come back and everything will wake up and everything will be fine. <laughs> Well, I did two months of no opioids and I was in so much pain. My quality of life was bad. So I went back on them. And then, uh, yeah, and so I think just the combination of it all, with still having the CTP company, the insurance, mm. we don't think you, we don't think, you know, that that's not uh, accident related. Mm. What do you mean? Like that, that can't be accident related. So we're not going to cover you for that. We're not going to cover your feeds. We're not going to cover your kilometers and your pharmacy receipts. And that's nothing to do with us. Mm. So it was this fight and my lawyer and, and it was just this, this mess of, of this whole team of people that are working against you yeah to yeah. try and save They're, themselves money yeah you're going through and, all this shit yeah yeah and people think the, that doesn't happen in australia it does fuck. yeah exactly yeah. yeah it's very american yeah. and i'm mm. sure they do it all the time for everything but uh, this in is, australia this is my comparison i had post-acute care because i had pneumonia and i was breastfeeding my eight month old <laughs> they rang me like three times a week are you sure you still need this service yeah. i'm like yeah well I can't breathe. Yeah. So if someone could come <laughs> and hang out my washing. Oh my gosh. And this, they would be like, yeah, it was fully so questioning. Too. I would Again, didn't go to hospital until like she was forced I to. I didn't go to hospital until I was convinced I had mastitis. Yeah. Did not have that's mastitis. the way. But, oh my God. Yeah, like I I mean it's not the same scale at all, but like that's on that's barely costing them anything. Exactly. And yeah. they're ringing yeah. me three times a week, like twice a week. Yeah. Did yeah, you find, do you find now that you're, you advocate a lot on social media with your 
um, lines and your central lines and you like literally do the equivalent of a makeup tutorial by putting your TPN up. Like it's, I love it. I, I watch them all. And it's so good to watch. It's like almost therapeutic. <laughs> do, you, do you find that by putting yourself out there on is helpful for your, I mean, I know social media has like a huge negative and positive impact on people's mental health, but on your body image and because you show it all, like you show your tubes and your lines and and everything and I and just your process yeah, yeah and I just I wonder if has that played a role in your recovery as well knowing that you're educating people and and as nurses that's what we like to do as well um yeah I I definitely think so I think um I actually will never forget I went to a conference with Baxter and there was a young girl I think she was she would have been three um and she had a j-tube button and she was also on tpn and um, her mum was giving her her meds and her feeds and she had not looked at me, right, for two hours earlier. And she, she was next to me and she had a tube out. And I said, oh, I've got the same tube as you. And she looked at me like, really puzzled. And I showed her my J-tube. And from that moment on, best friends, yeah. best friends, <laughs> all over me, climbing all over me like she'd known me for months. And, and I was just so shocked by how connected she felt to me just because mm. we both had the same tube because she doesn't see anyone else with these tubes I'm like, and so I think up. I know look at you <laughs> yeah it's it's it, I was I I went home and cried about it because I yeah. was so I just thought oh my gosh like that impact on in that kind of just it was it was incredible so from from that moment on that was um October last year and I started social media in November and I had made like TikToks here and there. Um, and most of the time when I was in hospital and one thing that kind of annoyed me was I would always get these views in hospital and then I go home and no one would watch anything because it was like boring. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to be in hospital just for views. Like it kind yeah. of annoyed me. So I, I, I barely go to hospital because I'm sick. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I they they forced me to be here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm bartering with them, and so I um I s- said to my apart or my fiance at the time, um I said I'm gonna continue this TikTok thing, and it was November. I just spent four weeks in hospital with sepsis again, and I said I'm gonna continue making TikToks at home. I'm just gonna like start showing things, and he's like, oh yeah, because I also have ADHD, and I am a big all or nothing. I get onto this like you know, craze or thing. And I'm like, I'm going to do this every day for the rest of my life. And then I get over it. <laughs> so he thought it was that. And he thought, yeah. okay, sure, whatever, you're doing yeah. five minutes. And so, yeah, I started um, showing TPN and I started just showing my tubes. And then I would get messages from teens, from mums with babies on TPN in, in the NICU or with mums that have kids that have just started TPN. They'll be on it for the rest of their life. And, and I was just like so, I was so shocked because I didn't even realize that there's no representation for tubes or lines or just a different way of life. Everyone mm. thinks that everyone can just eat normally and like yeah, regardless yeah. of of how you and, and why you can't eat normally, but everyone just thinks, you know, you, you could never tell by me walking down the street that I've got what I've got. And that you don't and sit so, down to a steak dinner every night. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I just thought, oh my God, I'm going to like educate and share. And also in a way that is still positive because I didn't want to, there's two sides of social media. There's like a really negative place and a, a positive place. And I didn't want to be, hi guys, this is my life, you know. Um, <laughs> Feel sorry. Anyway. For yeah. Money. And I, and I want pity and, <laughs> and this and that. And, and I kind of wanted to be like, this is, this is what I have. And yeah, it was a really shitty time and I will get on TikTok sometimes and just vent and cry. Mm-hmm. But I also, when I'm high, I want to show you guys like I'm getting married and like I, mm-hmm. and I'm going on a holiday and, and you can still do all of this. And, and really most of the time I do it for the mums and the teens mm-hmm. and the adults who are new because I probably would have accepted the fact that I was going to be on TPN a lot earlier if I had a representation of that even and I was you, kind of even if you knew somebody else who'd had it or mm. you know or you could talk to somebody like I, I yeah. can't imagine they were like giving you a pamphlet like here's a support group for people who are on TPN <laughs> like no there's no. not that they have this whole clinic I think my 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 nurse I love her so much I think she said there was like 30 people on it in in their clinic and I was like they're not even allowed to give you the names because it's confidentiality yeah and and like I only know one other person and it's just yeah it's it's really isolating um because most of the time people don't even know what TPN is mm, they have no idea true. and even like I even read a message last night from my friend who's a paramedic and she said that she had a patient who was on TPN and they were a big fan of mine and her partner who the paramedic um he had no idea what tpn was so she got to educate him about it mm. instead of the patient having to recite it a thousand times yeah. she actually got to say this is what it is and this is why a lot of people are on it and i was like oh my gosh like this is just so cool. what I, I i just want that education and yeah awareness and also representation because i and like a lot of my friends with disabilities regardless regardless if they're in a wheelchair or whatever disability they have we're all consumers of fashion beauty makeup everything we are consumers and in fact I will vouch that I consume more than the average person because I sit (laughs) at home and internet shop yeah Yeah. so I I'm a big fast fashion person (laughs) I buy white fox (laughs) so um get on with my daughter I just had to buy my daughter a white fox jumper because she's 10 and it's the rage so (laughs) they they are very popular especially with my cousin she's 12 and she's like I love white fox and I'm like um but yeah like I think that just gets even active wear like Mm. I I tried, I, I will not name names, but I did try contact a brand and I said, look, if you're looking for feeding tube or disability or inclusivity, whatever, you know, we are a big consumer of activewear, people mm. with feeding tubes, people with disabilities. And I didn't hear anything back and that's fine. They don't have to, but I think it's, I think that's where, you know, they should head and yeah. just show all shapes, sizes, abilities, everything, because- yeah. How is someone, how is it, how is a teen that's sitting at home with a Hickman lion, a feeding tube, a stoma, in a wheelchair, any, any mobility aid, anything, how are they going to sit at home and then see all of these gorgeous blonde, blue eyed models with perfect bodies and think, well, you know, I'm not going to look like that if I put it on. I feel like 
so outraged for you and like because I you know being like a plus size woman like it's been like a thing fighting for trying to get some inclusivity in the plus size Mm. um in like just trying to get some representation in you know in that and then you think well there's some brands that are just getting there now but then how far away are they going to be for for visibility for people with disabilities like it just seems so unfair and especially when you have tubes and things I mean Activewear is obviously the most comfortable thing to wear, but yeah. you you will need different requirements because your tubes sit at different levels. So you might need, you know, and you might want to cover it so that you can exercise. Like I just think it's, you know, you are an you guys are a young, market. Why is there an influencer? Yeah. Like why aren't yeah. they jumping on board yeah, and being absolutely. like, yes, come in? Like they only need to make one change. It's not even. You know, and I think this is the thing, like, people that they don't do plus size wear because they're like, it costs more money. Well, we're gonna, I'm still going to buy it. Mm. Like, it doesn't cost that much more money. You're still yeah. going to buy it if you have to add an extra two inches of fabric to the top of the pants to cover your tube so you can, you know, live your life. Like, yeah. I just, it, it isn't hard to work around it. Mm. And I think, you know, I think that there's, it's, you can't claim to be inclusive and diversive diversity mm. <laughs> inclusive and diverse if you don't include everybody mm. and mm. I think it's one of those things that uh, they just miss out on like you you mm. would probably be considered if you didn't have your tubes mm. like, yeah let's face it like you know white folks could come up with a jumper that has an opening put your tubes in problem is yeah. there's not that many people out there that would want it and that's the thing but it would make a point of difference that's in their business because my yeah, ten year old loves white who... fox. Yeah. So could you imagine all those teens with feeding tubes, eating disorder patients that have to have them? Like yeah. you know, any like it's not just like the well, think outside the box. And like, some honestly. of and some people, like you said, you know, sixteen hours attached to a pole, like you don't want to go out, you know, with your with your TPN hanging off you. So what do yeah. you do? Sit at home, get on the internet. Like yeah. there's a huge market that I don't understand. I don't Doesn't understand that exactly. It blows my mind that just people, uh, they think they just do bare minimum to meet that yeah. criteria. I yeah. feel like yeah. what you're doing is so important. And even like that story you told about the three-year-old, I was like sitting here crying yeah. because I feel <laughs> yeah. like that you've made a huge, huge difference, difference to this little girl's yeah. life. She's like, oh my God, there's, here's look, a fully functioning human in front of me with yeah. all these things going on. Like, and you, you know, you would have just changed and her at life. three, at to three. have that impact on somebody. Mm, like, huge. tell me you're back at work now. How's that going? Yeah. I love it. I, <laughs> I genuinely really, truly thought I would never return. And I, it was the end of last year. And I, I said to Adam, I was like, you know what, I'm feeling really good. Like I feel like my my arm, my left arm, which was the brachial plexus arm, is not at all back to the strength of my right arm or what whatever it'll be, but it's still enough to for me to carry, you know, like a two kilogram weight. And so I was like, I actually think I could go back to work and I don't think I could do full time and I don't think I could do, you know, three days in a row, but I feel well enough. And so spoke to all of my doctors and they gave me the approval and I did a physio assessment and at the hospital and it was painful, but um, I got signed off and then I took all that to APRA and I said, hi, I'm reapplying for my rego, spent too much money reapplying for my rego oh, because it was like $500. Yeah. <laughs> and then they, they, cause obviously I'm on opioids still, and this is very fair. They should, they should definitely make sure my pain team, are, you know, on board and I'm weaning and stuff, but they, 
they it took I applied in November and it was March that was the five year you know if you don't get your rego in oh. five years you have to be supervised mm-hmm. and so I was like on this time limit and so yeah by by March it was approved but because I had applied in November it like didn't mean that even if it would if even if it was approved in July doesn't mean that I have to be supervised um so yeah so they approved me and then I contacted my work where I worked in postnatal when I was an AIN and because I was 19 all the midwives that I worked with back then were like my mums because you know they were all kind of my mum's age so and and also I worked with the midwife who delivered me there oh, so that's so cool yeah it's crazy I have a photo of her and I like when I was a newborn oh, and <laughs> it was accidental it was accidental that I worked with her mm-hmm. and um so yeah so I emailed I Facebooked her and I said hey do you have any jobs going she's like oh, of course we do of course and so yeah I applied for the special care nursery and obviously got the job and um yeah I started work on the 1st of April um, and I worked three days in a row because it was my supernumerary kind of orientation mm-hmm. day because they actually had an upgrade on the ward. So it was like this big brand new special care. Um, and I love it. I, I just want to be there every day. And because I'm <laughs> casual, <laughs> I'm only there when they need me. Yeah. So, and obviously I shouldn't work every day because no. I don't, like, <laughs> I'm dead after a shift. Like I literally, I did my first 12 hour two weeks ago <laughs> and I I got home and Adam was like, you look good. And I was like, yeah, I, I feel really good. I feel great. And then um, I forgot to get my TPN out of the fridge that morning. Oh. And I realised and I just burst into tears. He's like, yeah, you're tired. And I was like, no, I'm tired. It was, I did really well. <laughs> just crying over absolutely not a big deal. But, yeah, so I... Yeah, I'm I'm loving it. And and also like it's really nice going back to a familiar place because I know all of the nurses and the midwives mm-hmm. and um they also know because I have most of them on Facebook, they know that I've got the feeding tubes and mm-hmm. I have to have my meds at a certain time and if I say no to a shift it's because it's not convenient for my TPN and so they're so understanding. That's so good. Um but yeah, it's good. I love that, it. <laughs> it gives me hope that there's and for other nurses or, you know, people that want to do nursing that do have chronic illness, that it's not just because you do have a chronic illness doesn't mean you can't do something. Like obviously you're not working in adults, you're working in peds, in tiny babies, so you're not lifting heavy things or, Mm. you know, you're working in a role that suits your capabilities at this time, which is incredible. And I think it makes me so happy that you, I saw the other day you posted that you got back to a shift and I was like, oh, so good like yeah yeah it's, a, rough, it, a rough trot yeah yeah my mum my mum even said like every time I'm in my uniform she's like oh just so happy you could get to go back to work and yeah. then my my husband he was like I sent him a photo the other day and he's like oh my god it's so weird seeing in your new in your uniform because uh, you know having the accident in 2018 that was the last time I'd put my uniform on mm-hmm. so to him it was like we were still early days of our relationship and he's yeah. like wow it's crazy because it's like five years like, yeah amazing. yeah and I feel like it's like a happy ending not that it's the end for you um but I'd like I want to know kind of what does the future look like for you yeah. what are you hoping for and and um yeah what does it look like 
Yeah. So the next thing, it was weird. After the wedding, I was kind of like, oh my gosh, like the lead up to the wedding is just this big thing that everyone talks to you about. And then you have the wedding and it's like, okay, like what is, what's, what is life now? Like your whole life, you're like a wedding one day or like whatever. And, and now I'm just like, okay, like, guess I'm just going to work now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the next thing I have, and I've spoken to my doctors about this and it's definitely on the cards is family planning. Ooh. So yeah. I was I'm like so hoping excited. you would say that, but I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> it's the worst it's thing like, when you get married and then everyone's like so when's the baby, baby happening baby? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like I don't want to be super textbook but also like family planning so, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah and a lot of people on on TikTok and everywhere just ask me like can you have kids like does this affect your kids yeah. and and like the only thing that affects is the tubes and that's because obviously once I start growing we need to release the pressure of the the tubes kind of separating but yeah. that's something that we have to do with my J-tube uh, probably op- in, in a, like an operating theatre. But um, with my G-tube, it's like a flange type thing. So yeah. um, super easy. But, yeah. It's the- not like you grow overnight. So it's things that can be adjusted as time goes on. Yeah. 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 Like even, even if like I go to my um, gastro and I say, hey, look, we're actually going to start trying now. Um, he might say, all right, well, before you're pregnant, we'll take you in, we'll change your tubes, clean it all up, do it like, cause I have a really bad history of tube infections and then sepsis and stuff. So he might say that. Um, but yeah, I also am talking to my colorectal and they're thinking about doing a stoma. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like, do I do a stoma first? Cause it's kind of, and I'm really lucky that I get to decide on when I have the mm-hmm. stoma, but it's more just like, can I tolerate the pain and the agony that I go through every four to six weeks of going to the toilet mm. um, before I have a baby or after I have a baby? Or so, yes. Is there I a think way fucks to... with your bowel anyway? Yeah. Mm. Is there a way to bypass your stomach? So you know, like you can have um, a procedure that joins your like basically the top of your stomach to your um, jejunostomy. I don't know if it's your jade. Yeah your jejunum or your duodenum or whatever. Are you able yeah. to do that so then it could bypass so you don't have to necessarily empty it out? You could have a stone, like empty it through the stone or is it just, it's just that your the way your bowel, your gastroparesis plus your intestinal failure just yeah. makes nothing work and it wouldn't matter yeah. what you do. Yeah, yeah, that's the second point. Yeah, no yeah. matter what, like we, <laughs> we, um, we pretty much thought of like all the options and we were just like, look, that's not. That's not going to work. Like, the J feeds were kind of the, the point where we were like, if you're not absorbing through your intestines, like after that, you're not doing any ab- absorbing absorbing anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they were kind of just like that's – but because my colon also has like very, very slow motility, um, it's just the worst, you know, and I still do poo. I still do, you know, a lot of people also ask me that, do I poo? Um, yeah, think about that. That's so. Funny. I thought about yeah. it. But I wasn't going to ask you. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, you can ask on ever like poo? any question. <laughs> it's like, uh, and I have, and and look, I think everyone is entitled to their own privacy. But I always say on TikTok, I'm like, if you want to ask me something that you're like, oh my God, I don't know if I should ask that. Like, you can ask me because I, I think you know we all do it. So if you want to yeah. know, like, but yeah, I go every four to six weeks. So it's just yeah. like so traumatic that the poor toilet 
gets blocked <laughs> because it's like imagine like and like I really hope oh, like nurses are listening because they probably won't feel as weird as me saying this but imagine just like a boulder just like really oh. trying to it's just it mm. it forms this like massive rock and yeah so look the stoma situation we're figuring out um but before then I just have to wean off some of my meds because I'm on yeah. opioids and stuff yeah. like that so where I'm currently weaning um and then yeah we can family plan my I have polycystic ovaries but it's not severe um and yeah hopefully that's really in the exciting next, next yeah. two years so yeah so <laughs> but good. yeah social media apart from that and working yeah that's fun and you did get married recently we've touched on it a couple of times but can I just say your honeymoon as a cancer nurse gave me heart palpitations when you went <laughs> snorkeling with your central line? <laughs> Look, like, I'll show oh, you it. As a <laughs> it perfect. looks good still. Yeah, I promise I don't good. have yeah. some bacteria from the reef. <laughs> it made me laugh. I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, gonna... <laughs> seawater is like super good. Seawater is full of bacteria, oh. mate, especially yeah. at once. Yeah, like algae yeah. And, and like... <laughs> Oh it's yeah, the worst. Doesn't the coral like spawn? Yeah, you've got coral spawn <laughs> in you. You should have seen. You might have coral. a coral baby. My my TPN nurse is pregnant and she's now on mat leave, which I'm so sad about. Um, but she she I literally told her and I I was just like I didn't want to scare her too much because I didn't want to like her to go into labor because she was just kind of looking at me like <laughs> and I was it. like look I triple dressed it you know I made sure I was checking it I was in a bloody wetsuit so I, I had no idea what was going on behind that wetsuit but I got off the boat I got onto the boat and I like checked it and it was it was intact and it had a little bit of condensation yeah but it was intact and I was like I just snorkeled the Great Barrier Reef with like, him. Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we won't be telling too many people that, but we, no. like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, it was so good. And I, like, that's what you want. You want to live your life. You want to yeah, go exactly. and, like, I spent my honeymoon at a bloody car show because that's how we spend our whole life. And I was just like, oh, why wasn't I on the Great Barrier Reef snorkeling? <laughs> well, look, I had to, I had to actually convince Adam that we were going to fly up and fly back because. He just wanted to road to trip drive. it. And I yeah. thought, I was oh. like, please, no. Like, I know you love your cars, but I don't want to sit in the car for two days. I'm pretty like, sure your husband does what I my husband does. Car yeah. Detailing. Yeah. yeah. I think they're in, like, competitive oh, uh, competitive um, <laughs> companies for their the product. car protection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. <Funny>. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. I've loved, absolutely loved chatting to you today and I you give such a positive attitude to just everything about chronic illness and tubes and your social media presence is educational but oh like I can't it's just you need to go follow it like, I can't imagine amazing. what you mean to the people in your community like absolutely I, yeah yeah thank you and thank it's you. literally your community because there's not many people out there he's like made doing it, it. yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh thanks guys we'll link it in the show notes but can you please tell the listeners where they can find you on your social media of course so uh my both tiktok and instagram apps are still steph k kelly um because i 
obviously got married, but I haven't changed them yet. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, that's that's pretty much Instagram and TikTok are my two main platforms. So Steph K. Kelly. And she Perfect. gives Hello Fresh discounts, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Steph07 is my code. <laughs> Um, give Steph a follow and while you're there, um, follow us at Two Humorous Nurses Podcast. Make sure you rate us five stars on the podcast platform you're listening to us on and send us an email, uh, hello at twohumorousnurses.com. That's humorous like the bone, H-U-M-E-R-U-S. Bye. Bye.